Hi, I'm Dr. Jeff McCombs. Thank you for joining me today for Candida Diet Tips, Recipes, and Insights for Greater Health and Vitality in Your Life. We are back again with another episode filled with information about candida, candida diets, recipes, nutrition, and the latest insights from science on all things candida. This is episode 21, and today I'm going to talk about candida and biofilms. First of all, what are biofilms? Biofilms are a closely packed community of cells. Uh, They can be bacterial cells, fungal cells, yeast cells, or a mix of these along with other microbes. Biofilms are notorious for uh, forming on implanted medical devices, including uh, catheters, pacemakers, dentures, prosthetic joints, um, which provide a surface and uh, even a sanctuary for biofilm growth. A sanctuary, typically because you don't have an immune response active here. Uh, So that would be, again, urinary and central venous catheters, pacemakers, mechanical heart valves, Joint prostheses, you know, after you have that joint implanted, it could uh, have a biofilm form on it. Contact lenses, uh, dentures, they're all susceptible to candida biofilms. And once it forms on an implanted medical device, it has the potential to seed um, in a candida infection throughout the tissues in the body. And that can lead to invasive systemic infections of tissues and organs. Uh, there are over 5 million central venous catheters that are placed each year in the United States alone. Um, so that is data from 1992 to 2001. So that's uh, over 20 years old, probably more now. And currently, even with uh, recently improved clinical approaches to addressing biofilms, biofilm infection occurs in over 50% of these catheters. Um, so just about, it's about a 50-50 chance. And so it's good to understand that because some people believe this happens all the time with candida and it does not. Um, but uh, all the majority of the data is on all these implanted devices or tubes, etc., in the body. Um, they don't happen all the time, about 50, 50% of the time. And uh, you know, we'll just look a little bit at that today. Uh, it's sort of a confusing and complex issue. Um, I see it more as a straight-ahead issue, but uh, other people kind of, I think, muddy the waters a little bit. In a study that was published in June of this year, 2022, at Princeton University, the researchers stated these transitions, this is the transition from the infection just being present to the formation of the biofilm, these transitions depend on a dizzyingly complex array of factors that are determined by the intrinsic properties of uh, the individual cells as well as those of their surrounding environments and are thus challenging to describe. We established a universal rule predicting how the onset and extent of biofilm formation depend collectively on cell concentration and motility, nutrient diffusion, consumption, chemotactic sensing, and autoinducer production. So those are all sort of fancy words for other things that can be said more simply. So there are four laws. Uh, The first is the number of cells present and their motility. So you have to have enough cells present, and they can't be 
moving about quickly. They have to be going slowly in order to form a biofilm. And number two, law number two, there has to be sufficient amounts of nutrients present so that they can feed the cells on the top of the biofilm as the ones on the bottom. And we'll see how this uh, changes over time. Law number three, the local immune responses. Healthy antifungal immune responses will block candida biofilm formation. Law number four, the ability to signal other cells that it's time to form a biofilm. This enables the cells to coordinate a change in their behavior from moving by quickly to slowing down and establishing a more uh, sedentary state in the biofilm. So these are four laws that have to be present. They all have to be present. And if we remember in that uh, study, a dizzyingly complex array of factors. So there is so much that has to happen for a biofilm to form, which is the reason, I believe, that they don't form most of the time inside the body unless there are all these medical devices present. And uh, in addition to these laws, you also have to consider the pH of the tissue or the fluid, the temperature, the presence or absence of enzymes being produced by immune cells as well as the local tissue cells and other cellular responses. So it's very unlikely that biofilms form very often, especially when there's an immune, I mean, if one of these laws is not met, you're not gonna have the biofilm formation. Um, And, um, you know, so if we look at another study, biofilm formation, on biotic surface, that's living tissue, has received some attention. Candida albicans was shown to, shown to form biofilms on oral mucosa, so that's the mouth, in an immunosuppressed murine model, a mouse model, of oral pharyngeal candidiasis. So there is that immunosuppression, the lack of an immune system response, so that favors candida biofilm growth. But again, there has to be these other laws being met. Uh, In another study, comparative analysis of different time points of biofilm formation showed a peak in amino acid, that would be proteins, and lipid fat intermediates at 24 hours. Notably, nitrogen-containing compounds such as amino acids and nucleotides, those again proteins, were strongly reduced in 48-hour biofilms, which reflects the progressive starvation and the dormant state of mature biofilms. Dormant means they're not active, they're not doing anything. So what we're seeing is that two days into biofilm after it's formed, you have nutrient depletion. So the nutrients have to be there always. And if they're not there always, then you're not gonna have the biofilm formed, or even a biofilm that has been formed may not exist anymore. It may start breaking up because these, you know, the cells want to live. So the candida cells are gonna take off looking for nutrients. So it's just very unlikely to um, find biofilms in the body. Sure, they found them in the mouth, uh, vaginal, in the oral mucosa, uh, and the vaginal mucosa. But again, you have to have the immunosuppression because the mucus cells are part of the immune response. So that has to be suppressed as well. And in over 38 years of practice and over 31 years of specializing in correcting fungal candida in the body, I have not found biofilms to be an issue and correcting fungal candida back to its normal yeast form. I think this just gets blown way out of proportion and people start worrying about it um, and worrying the reason whatever they're doing isn't working is because of the biofilms and I'm more likely to state that is probably because of the approach being used, not the biofilms. 
And maybe I haven't run into this too much because uh, of the undesalinic acid that we use with the candida plan. It also has anti-biofilm activity. And additionally, the fact that we are stimulating the antifungal immune response can help to knock out biofilm. So if we're affecting these two areas, you're not going to have a biofilm. And again, we just don't run into it. I know there are companies out there that produce anti-biofilm supplements, but because that, I believe that's because they perceive there is a, a need or a demand. Um, so they produce these, but uh, I really haven't found anybody to say that they experienced any big change by taking these supplements. And definitely we have never seen that in over 31 years with the Candida plan. And people have tried this. It hasn't improved the results any and hasn't sped up the results. I just don't think it's necessary. So that's uh, it for biofilms. Uh, it can go on and on. I mean, there again, you can consider all these other things that have to be present, but I think that's enough said. Today's recipe comes from the Everything Candida Diet Book by yours truly, published by Simon & Schuster Publishing Company or Publishing House. Uh, this recipe is for Mary Ellen's tuna salad and can be found on page 154. Ingredients are one five-ounce can of white albacore tuna packed in water, a quarter cup chopped green olives, two medium green onions diced, a quarter teaspoon mustard powder, two tablespoons chopped red pepper, a quarter teaspoon of salt, half a teaspoon of pepper, one hard-boiled organic free-range egg chopped, and two cups of mixed greens. In a medium bowl, mix all the ingredients until blended. Serve over greens. How simple is that? Definitely something I can uh, get behind because it has to be simple when I do the candida plan because I don't have a lot of time for cooking. Some people do. And we do have some great recipes in this book that were created by uh, top-level chefs. So it is a good book uh, to have, as well as a lot of recipes contributed by people who are just living a normal life, and they don't have a lot of time to do this also. So a lot of good recipes in this book. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and be sure to subscribe for more Candida Diet tips, recipes, and insights. If you can rate our show and give us some love there, that would be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions, please let us know, and we'll try to answer those in one of our upcoming episodes or get back to you personally. You can email us at support at candidaplan.com or call us at 888-236-7780. Uh, many times we uh, decide what we're going to have as a topic for the podcast based on the questions we're getting. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Amazon Alexa, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and several others. We're on Facebook at Dr. McCombs Candida Plan, as well as our YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, and we're looking at even spreading out further. So if you look for us, you're going to find us. Thank you again for taking the time to listen in and have a great day. <laughs>